0: Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we discuss issues impacting the business of food, fuel, fiber, farming. That's right. It's the industry we know, the industry we love, the industry we all work in. That's the business of agriculture. Every week, it's my goal to bring you an interesting show. where We don't just talk about grain charts and what the price of corn is going to be next March. No, we bring up topics, things that you can get your head behind, your head into, your you know, really dig into. I just did a presentation today for the Western Plant Health Association. That's a great thing about my job. I travel around. I talk to interesting groups about interesting stuff that's happening in our industry, and I meet interesting people. Today was no such, it was the exact uh, example of that. I met Alan Bishop. He is an account manager with Monsanto. He is a 39-year Monsanto employee, and here's why this matters. He covers California. So think about this. You're talking about a company that's maligned, that is hated, that is, uh, you know, you've been indoctrinated to march against them, petition against them, and here he is in California selling Roundup. Oh my gosh! Isn't that the company that just poisoned that poor man in San Francisco? Oh my God! This is the company that they, they put poison in my Cheerios. So we're going to cover all things, if you will, about California chemistry sales. All things, if you will, about working in arguably a very difficult environment. Uh, maybe we might delve into a little bit of the political aspect of it. And we're going to talk about what we uh, what we discussed there today at the Western Plant Health Association. So you're tuned into the Business of Agriculture podcast. Got a great guest. His name's Alan
1: Bishop. Welcome to the show, Mr. Bishop. Thank you, Damien. Good to be here.
0: All right. Now, we can do biographical, but you and I just have been talking. You are a kid from southern, south-central Wisconsin, not too far from Wisconsin Dells. Your mother was a shorthorn queen up there, and uh, your, your grandparents had a farm with shorthorn cattle, and you graduated from University of Wisconsin. Tell me, fill me in on the rest of the gaps.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Um Yeah, grew up in uh, south-central Wisconsin and uh, attended the University of Wisconsin, uh, majored in agriculture economics, graduated December 1978, said, Mom, Dad, I love you, but I can't live here anymore. So I worked at a ski resort, bought a car and some camping equipment, and drove straight to the Florida Everglades and camped there for a month and traveled the south Ended up in Dallas, uh, started with Monsanto in Dallas in 1980. And after my training, Monsanto assigned me to Fresno County california never been to california before so but i've been here since 1980
0: you've been in california by the way dear listener you might be saying wait a minute he's from like a big dairy state you're from a dairy background damien you've got an ag econ degree. so does this guy you don't like the cold and the gray and apparently this guy doesn't either no we just discussed that before we went live here to record this uh no neither of us are, enjoy, are enjoying uh cold and gray too much in our life because by choice so you um You've been with them for a long time. You got hired right before things went to kaput, and uh, you stayed with it. Now, of course, they went more kaput back where you're from, where I'm from, Wisconsin, Indiana, Iowa, obviously, the whole farm
1: belt meltdown of the 80s. What were you selling back then? In 1980, my main product was, and still is today, Roundup herbicide. So Roundup came out in right before that, like 70, 78, Came out in 1974. Uh, got its first crop registrations 1978, and I started selling Roundup in California in 1980. That's interesting.
0: So Fresno, and if you're listening to this, if you happen to be one of my California ag people listening to it, you already know this. If you are, say, in Missouri or North Carolina or whatnot, you're saying... Wait a minute, man. What happens out there in California? Let's give them a couple of quick pieces of data. California is the largest agricultural revenue state by almost 50% more than Iowa last I looked. And with corn and soybean prices being where they are, it might be even more than that. California rocks it when it comes to revenue. 200 and some odd products at least. Uh, They're still big in dairy. I just made my prediction from the stage today that if you're hinging your retirement on selling atrazine for silage fields for dairy in California, you might want to make a few tweaks because I think dairy goes away by half. There's no reason for it to be here based on the water battles, based on the fact milk consumption is going down, and based on the fact that dairy is really, really targeted a lot by environmental groups, which you have a lot of in California. Do you agree with my assessment? Absolutely. This milk, of course, milk's going to continue to either stagnate or, or decline a little bit because we've been going down. I say it probably stagnates and stays about the same level. Uh, I think it doesn't go back to Wisconsin. I think it just stays in Wisconsin. It stays in Idaho. It stays in New York, Pennsylvania, Colorado, et cetera. What happens to all these acres that go away from dairy here in California?
1: Well, Houses? I, um, definitely houses. Uh, urbanization continues to grow uh, throughout the state. Uh, you 've already addressed the the main issue in california, and that 's water battles and that 's going to be the biggest challenge uh, in the in the future is is water availability
0: it seems to me that California has such a unique position when you talk about just the economics of it and which you and I both are familiar with you should always go with your economic strength go with your position of uh, with your position of productability and, and productivity based on your your god given skills or your natural resource uh, uh, strengths. Almonds, uh, cantaloupes, celery, uh, pistachios, all those things, walnuts, things that we can't produce in the Midwest, things that you cannot produce. I mean, this almost reminds me of the $64,000 pyramid, uh, things things you can't grow in Iowa, things <laughs> things you, yeah. think. okay, uh, uh, roses, strawberries, okay, things that you can't mass produce in Pennsylvania. Anyway, those are all California strengths. Why dairy? Because dairy went there unnecessarily because it was cheap corn, because they, all they had to do was put up a, a tin roof, and then they had such a population center, and they had uh, access to exports. That's gone away, and now you bring in the environmental and the water aspects, plus the low prices. So those fields
1: that aren't producing silage or alfalfa for dairies will go back into something else. What do you see? I see expansion in high-value crops like your almonds, pistachios, um, certain row crops. But uh, again, it all really is based on and depends on water availability and the cost of water.
0: Right. If you have to pay a market price for water, there's a few things that you don't bother growing. And frankly, dairy is one of them. If it's a true market price, I've read the articles that said, you can't justify a few of the things that are being produced in California. You can still do tree nuts Mm. and obviously produce. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Because Because the water, if the water were truly being bought at a market price, but it's not, why is it not being bought at a market price? Because of the political fights?
1: That has a lot to do with it.
0: Talking to Alan Bishop with Monsanto, thirty-nine year man, and his first job when he got his, uh, he, he sowed his wild oats for a year or so, then he and, and then he decided to join corporate America with selling Roundup in California. Was the was the argument against chemistry forty years ago,
1: thirty-nine years ago? What it is today? Oh, times have changed tremendously. Um, it, it, selling Roundup in the early '80s. Um, Roundup was seen I, I, I make the comparison it was, Roundup to agriculture is what penicillin was for, To the pharmaceutical business that,
0: That's exactly how, I appreciate that Roundup was penicillin uh, We had a hell of a time in, uh, in the early days of Doing anything, when Roundup became Widespread, it was just like, man, here you go Go take this out, they'd send me out there with a little Bump up sprayer and uh, take care of the Canadian thistle patches in the wheat Because you never could take care of it You'd have to go out, drive the tractor out and bush hog the off in the old days. Hey, there's Canadian thistle starting in that wheat. Otherwise it'll go it'll go crazy. Go out there and the, they'd give me a sprayer when I was 12, 13 years old, about the time it was like you said 1981. So it was a godsend. Mhm.
1: Absolutely. And where did it get used back then? Everywhere? Yeah. Um, we have a very or did have uh, a very broad label. So it was essentially labeled for just about all of the 220 crops that we grow in California.
0: Now, you're using it between rows, you're using it uh, during off-season, if there is such a thing. Where else are you using it back then?
1: Uh, Ditch banks, roadsides, um, field borders, canals, the chemistry
0: behind Roundup has changed only because they've formulated a little bit better, a little bit more concentrated. Am I right?
1: Since that yeah. day, yeah, it's uh, it's more concentrated right now. It's more um, sticky, more sticky for rain. They've uh, added some uh, additives to the uh, surfactant system that uh, that has improved the performance and also at the same mm-hmm. time has made it. Uh, more efficacious on weeds in, and particularly in the ronderbready crop.
0: Efficacious? Okay. What do you? Wait a minute. I might have somebody <laughs> listen to this. I might have somebody listen to this podcast that says, "Hey, man, I'm a, I'm a meat
1: processor. What's efficacious mean? It yeah. improves the efficacy, and that means. Well, Damien, if you want to use, a kills weeds. You, instead of efficacious, you can you, you can say it that way.
0: Okay, I just want to make sure that we're getting it out there for everybody <laughs> to understand. We don't try to talk over people's heads. We also don't try to talk under their heads. Okay, give me some more thoughts. Then what's changed since 1980? You pulled in here in your in your in your Ford Pinto or your uh, <laughs> your, your your Chevy Monza, and you started selling Roundup, and you were covering. All of California, part of California. I actually
1: had eastern half of Fresno County when I first came to California.
0: And you should tell our listeners, because I get to California as I'm here today with uh, your Western Plant Health Association. By the way, Western Plant Health Association is the trade organization for the fertilizer, the chemical, the retailers that make crop production and crop protection uh, their business. In other states, you might still call it. Southern Crop Production Association or Mid-America Crop uh, Association, whatever that thing might be. But here they call it Plant Health Association because they have been used to being maligned and chased uh, by the environmental
1: fringe. When did it become Western Plant Health Association? I would say that name changed. Prior to that, it was Western Ag Chem Association. Yeah,
0: and you can't use the word chem. Chem And uh, anytime
1: you use the word chem or chemical or chemistry, um, the general public does not uh, it does not go over well with the general public.
0: She so you said you were covering the eastern half of Fresno County. Fresno is one of the top three productive uh, in terms of revenue counties in agriculture in the United States. In fact, I remember the stat was I think. Uh, like seven of the 10 or eight of the 10 or something like that, most revenue-producing agricultural counties in the U.S. are in California. Fresno is one of them. Tulare is
1: one of them. Yes. Visalia, maybe? Well, Visalia is in Tulare County and then Kern County. So Fresno, Tulare, Kern County, those three counties, probably I'm going to guesstimate somewhere in the $25 billion in net receipt, ag net receipts.
0: That's a Big, big number. Okay, when you are out there selling your Roundup, by the way, if you're listening to this and you keep hearing noise, it's because we're recording this in a public space because I just bumped into Alan and met him at this meeting, so and that's why I said you'd be a great one to talk to. Now you're covering more than just half an eastern half of Fresno County. You're covering an entire state. How have your roles changed over the years?
1: Yeah, so as Roundup is matured in its product life cycle, um and as we've come down in price to compete against uh, our competitors which are basically chinese producers of generics. glyphosate generics. Once Roundup went off label and when did that happen We lost, About... lost our patent in the year 2000. Okay, so 18 years we've been uh in the realm of generic glyphosate. Right. So as a consequence, uh, we've had to cut back on uh, on headcount and we've ha- have to cover larger areas. So I currently cover central and southern California, all of Arizona, as well as Hawaii for the crop protection side of Monsanto, which, of course, now is bear crop science. And you, your big, I mean, let's face
0: it, the product you still are really out here humping is? Roundup. Okay. And then you have a couple
1: others. Yes. And they are? We introduced two uh, new herbicides in, in the state of Arizona two years ago. Uh, One is Warrant herbicide, which is a pre-emergent herbicide labeled for cotton, corn, milo, and we just recently got an alfalfa label. Um, And we also, or I also represent Monsanto on the Hawaiian Islands with Harness herbicide, and most of your Midwest listeners are familiar with that. So that's a pre-emergent herbicide used in corn, and that's primarily used on the uh, seed production acres uh, on the Hawaiian Islands. All
0: right. So we talked about the craziness of California. We're going to come back to that. When you go to Arizona, like you're going to hop on a plane and go over to Arizona today because tomorrow's a cotton field day. Who are you going to talk to at the cotton field day in Casa Grande, Arizona?
1: Yeah. So we're going to have uh, some of our distributors there, uh, their salespeople. But primarily, it's growers, and they're going to come there and look at the different uh, field trials in the different varieties of our Delta Pine, which is our branded cottonseed business.
0: Oh, so it's a seed thing, and you don't really have a seed responsibility. You've got a chemistry
1: responsibility. That's correct. But I will have a part on the program because along with seed, um, there's also grower needs on... Uh, Crop protection products, and I will be there uh, discussing the different product uh, crop protection products. Since
0: cotton is something that is really uh, what five five states, principally uh, Texas being the biggest, Georgia being I think the second biggest, and then you throw in in any order uh, uh, Texas, Georgia, and I think you throw in Alabama and Arkansas, uh, probably a yes. Arizona, Mississippi, and a even a part of California that right. might be in the top ten. But uh, what chemistry? How, how does it work? How do you how do you, how do
1: you grow cotton, and where's the chemistry come in? Well, um, Arizona is an ideal place to grow cotton. Uh, most, I should say, a large percentage of the cotton grown in Arizona is what they call seed production acres. Uh, since the weather in Arizona is so reliable, that's where Monsanto and other cotton seed companies do grow their foundation seed in, in Arizona, uh, as well as California. Um, they're grow- California is mostly Pima cotton varieties uh arizona is mostly akela
0: so just so you know dear listeners i did one cotton event or maybe two in my entire career so i know just enough to be dangerous pima sells itself as a higher end shorter fiber longer, longer fiber. fiber longer fiber so it's a higher quality version of cotton and yes. then the other version akela or upland
1: and those are shorter fibers shorter fiber. and therefore not as high end right can you feel the difference You can definitely feel the difference, and you can really feel when you buy a a good cotton shirt. And if it's a uh, uh, non-iron shirt or wrinkle-resistant, it's generally made out of pima cotton
0: okay so when they they grow the stuff what chemistry do they use they 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 put it out it goes out of seed yep it looks like a stick if you've never seen it because i live part-time in arizona listeners if you've never seen a cotton field looks like a stick with cotton balls on the side of it it does Mm -hmm. it looks like something a child would make in in their art class Mm -hmm. it's like a little twig like a whip with a bunch of little cotton balls glued onto the side of it going up the the stalk and then there's some seeds in it Mm -hmm. and so that's what it looks like well it starts with a seed and then turns into a little Dick with cotton balls on mm-hmm. it. They go out and they cut it off, take it to the cotton gin, separate the seeds. The seeds go for
1: animal cattle, feed.
0: C- cattle feed. Mm-hmm. And then something else. What else happens? Cottonseed seed oil. Yeah. And then you've got the cotton. And then what do we do, chemistry wise? We put a seed in the ground. We make sure we put water to it because obviously in the yep. Panhandle of Texas yep. you get three inches of rain a year. Uh, Arizona, you get you know seven inches a year, whatever. So we make sure we put water to it through irrigation. Yep. What's about what's the chemistry treatment?
1: Yeah. So typically uh, growers in Arizona and cotton, are Arizona as well as California, will put on a residual herbicide in the in the prior to planting the cotton, mm-hmm. and that prevents the weeds from even germinating. And then after the cotton uh, is emerged, most of the cotton varieties are have our Roundup Ready trait where you can use Roundup to spray over the top as needed uh, based upon your your weed pressure. And then 2 years ago we introduced our Dicamba formulation, Extendamax with Vapor Grip technology, and that's uh that's another uh, very very good effective uh, herbicide particularly for some of the broadleaf weeds that have developed glyphosate or Roundup resistance. By the way, we all know about Roundup Ready, which, uh, again, it was
0: hailed. Just like you said, Roundup was the penicillin, uh, you know, when it came to this industry. And then when they started talking about Roundup Ready soybeans, I mean, I I remember growing up. Now, we were not great big grain farmers. We were, uh, you know, mid-sized dairy farmers of that era. But the people that were big grain farmers, especially those that uh, you know really, really wanted to do it right on their soybeans, or if they had large amounts of rented ground from a large landholder, by God, they had kids hired to go out and walk the soybean fields because <laughs> you want to make sure that field looked amazing because soybeans, in the old days, before Roundup, ready soybeans, plow, disc, sometimes disc at time, cultivate, plant, uh, field cultivate, spray. Spray maybe a second time, and then still sometimes run out and cultivate through the field again, and sometimes hire people to go out and walk the field for weed control. We have entered an era then it's no till plant, spray, harvest.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so that's Roundup has made farming very, very. Easy. Indeed. So here's the thing. I'm a big
0: fan of it, and I made the crack today. I just kind of gave that, gave that example. Now I was in uh, California, so when I said if you are, you get your people that are not fans of Roundup and GMO technology and Roundup Ready soybeans, send them to my farm. I'll put them at one end of the road, uh, and, and they can walk to the other end of the field at another road. And by God, they'll love Roundup Ready technology. But the thing is, nobody here understood that because they don't grow soybeans here. <laughs> so answer me this: uh, You've got all these things about bringing a product to market. California yep. got Roundup pretty quickly. But you talked to me before we went live here about California's own
1: EPA. What the hell right. does it take to, get, to be able to sell a chemical in this crazy state? Well, uh, first of all, after, well after federal approval of any product, then if you want to sell that product in California, you have to get approval from the California Department of Pesticide Regulations. And that is, in essence, a secondary EPA. Um, so, there's a cost to get that done, time frame typically, products that can be labeled federally. Uh, it may take one to two years to get that same product registered in the state of California due to the regulations.
0: And it would be already available in every other state. Correct. So, this reminds me, and it puts, frankly, California at an economic or productivity disadvantage. Now, granted, you still have the weather, you still have the population, but right. it's not as though these products just stay here with that population, they cross borders. Part of the problem with your regulatory environment is that you do have too many people that are non-ag. There's 38 million people in this state. 37 and a half of them don't know anything about this industry or are not tied to it. That's correct. So all of a sudden, Iowa can can license a product or it can be licensed and approved through the federal government and be available immediately in Louisiana. And then you're sitting out here in California for another couple of years before you get to use it. That's correct. So you are at a disadvantage. So the weather is your
1: only advantage. Yep, weather, <laughs> weather, yep, growing conditions, yeah, and it's, the, it's the good, uh, dependable weather.
0: So if you had, say,
1: um, if
0: you had the same weather that Vermont gets out here, <laughs> you would not be able, be able to not be a powerhouse because obviously uh, you're, you're screwing yourselves. Right. All right, so when we talk about regulation, when we talk about anti-chemistry, let's talk about your involvement in Hawaii because it's
1: my understanding that Hawaii is even worse than California. Yes, that is correct. And what do you see? Well, we definitely have challenges because um, not only does Monsanto now bear, but other companies that grow um, their foundation seed or seed production um, on the islands of Hawaii, um, we have a, a, there's a lot of public pressure and legislation that we are fighting to keep agriculture viable. Uh, on the islands
0: When I was there And I've been there A number of times For presentations At corporate meetings I drove around I've been on Kauai I've been on uh, Wahoo I've been on Maui Every seed company Had holdings out there Meaning real estate So they could do testing Because of the weather right. But then I believe I've heard And seen articles Where some of the Environmental extremists uh, Have even trespassed To do damage To those facilities they, they protest vocally To remove them And it's all the same Sort of
1: uh, Anti-GMO idiocy. Yes, is that happening? And have, have those companies moved? Yeah, it, it the battles are continuing. You okay. may you may not see and hear about it as much in the media anymore because it's not quite new news anymore, uh, but it, it's it's still there. I see. All right, we had a big lawsuit. It happened a month and a half ago,
0: up in uh, almost two months ago in San Francisco. Two hundred eighty-nine million dollars was awarded through a jury trial. In San Francisco, and I did. I was very public about it. And Alan, you can uh, you can tell me how much you wanted to cover on this because you are not legal counsel for your employer. You just happen to be a salesman uh, for your company. Two hundred eighty nine million dollars was taken, uh, and it's not been paid out yet. But that was the jury's verdict, and there eight thousand more lawsuits. As soon as that verdict was announced, three to five thousand more lawsuits came on. Uh, and we're uh, we're filed. So at $289 million times $8,000, i am not smart enough to do the math because I went to Purdue and I don't have a calculator that works that big and I can't even use an abacus, my fingers and a calculator to tell that number, but I think it comes close to that 2 to $3 trillion number. $62 billion acquisition by Bayer, there's no way in hell, could afford a $1.5 to $3 trillion payout. Does this end up actually happening? Do we end up paying this guy $289 million because of an alleged
1: uh, cancer due to, Roundup? Well, it, it's a very unfortunate situation in that this was not a, this was not a hearing that was based on science. Uh, the science would say that glyphosate does not cause cancer. Every regulatory agency in the world has said that. There's been over 800 studies done, not only by the own, our own uh, U.S. EPA, but other regulatory agencies around the world. And all of them have come out and said that glyphosate does not cause cancer. What if I drink it? Uh, I wouldn't a, I wouldn't recommend it. What if I cooked with it? If I cooked with it, would it? Okay, the point is, none of us are so silly
0: as to think that we're going to take baths in glyphosate, that we're going to drink the stuff. Uh, this guy used it, and my only argument has been, uh, why don't we have people that have touched the stuff their entire life? You know, I've I've been on the end of the glyphosate uh, spray wand uh, a lot more than that guy, you know, and I'm, I'm 49 years old, and I can tell you that a school groundskeeper didn't touch glyphosate nearly as much as I did. So the point is, Monsanto went on trial, not not science, not fact. It was, how much do you hate Monsanto here in San Francisco, one of the most liberal cities, and the most liberal states? How much do you hate Monsanto? Well, we hate him $289 million
1: worth. Does this get overturned? I hope so. Again, I'm not uh, part of the legal team that's addressing this. I understand that we are going to appeal it. Um, uh, and I know that we're vigorously working to defend the right to sell uh, to sell that product because... Again, the science indicates it does not cause cancer. And then, of course, the Environmental Working Group, which I talked about today to your organization, and my listeners have heard me
0: go through this with one of my past podcasts, uh, immediately then dropped their study, which they were holding. They were holding. It was all a PR move. Their in-house study that said that they found glyphosate and Cheerios and other children's cereals. Because, again, if you want to demonize a company, you always say that they're killing children. Yeah. So we've got an environmental propaganda movement going against your company and also it's against a product that we really need, and my big concern is uh the it's the old thing of uh these people will outlaw and 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 kill you know they'll kill they'll kill the uh the savior kind of thing here, so they get rid of roundup what happens
1: yeah, that's a good question. I don't think people have really thought through that um it's basically going back to farming like we did in the nineteen seventies and before that it's uh well, it's it means more atrazine it it means more harsher chemistries it means more uh, mechanical means of weed control.
0: Sure, and then and then those get sued. So another 10 years from now, you and I are having this discussion, and we've sued now the the manufacturers of Atrazine and the manufacturers of Dicamba and the manufacturers of, name the company, name the right. product. And right. then, what are we left with? No chemical companies. We've just outlawed chemical companies and chemistry. So it's mechanical yeah, yeah.
1: it's it, it's not a it's not a pretty picture
0: unless then there actually is some level and I'm not this optimistic in humanity where they say well then we're going to need more genetic engineering to make it so that we can create resistant uh or or shall we say even plants that can somehow uh, uh plant put off a, a substance you know that uh, suppresses weeds on their own all right closing thoughts you're a smart guy i'm talking to alan bishop he's been a 39 year guy with monsanto now Bayer. he's in the western plant health association he's on his way to cotton days down in casa grand arizona that's why i grabbed him after we got done he watched me do a presentation as you know dear listeners i make my living Talking at agricultural functions all over North America. So if you have a meeting coming up, you better get on the stick and give me a call because winter is booking up fast. Trust me, don't call me December 23rd and say, hey, are you free on January 21st? I got a meeting. Uh, That is the busiest time of my life. My wife and dog don't even see me during the third... Second, third, fourth week of uh, January or the, the entire month of February. So we had a great program. Uh, I enjoyed being in front of your people.
1: Closing thoughts, what did you hear today that you liked, what did you not like? Oh, as far as your presentation? Yeah, what did you oh. like and what did you not like? You can tell the listeners. Well, I, I thought the presentation was outstanding it was not only very entertaining and humorous, uh, but it was just a good reminder about how we in agriculture need to do a better job of educating the non-ag public. I mean, we we are vastly outnumbered. Um, I live in the San Joaquin Valley of California, and that's pretty similar to I would say the Midwest. But when you get into Southern California, the San Francisco Bay Area, people don't have a clue where food comes from. Except you're gonna you're gonna have to re- let me remind you that I said I don't think it's
0: I think the 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 horse is out of the stable. I don't know that we can't educate these people, and we are so. Uh, we're so outgunned by the misinformation police. You know, imagine the fake news, if you will. We've got a media that will take any story the Environmental Working Group puts out there, and we have well-paid PR advocates with groups that oppose us that is our real problem. So we can't educate, but I think it's going to have to be done differently. And I think it's time to fight a little better, which I yeah. tell my audiences all the time. Unless We keep acting like, well, let's just tell them the chemistry behind Roundup. They don't know the chemistry behind h2o they don't know the chemistry behind why uh, earthworms actually can breed by themselves they they don't mm-hmm. know those things why are you yeah. going to convince them of the chemistry of roundup closing thoughts what do you got for me one thing you've noticed in your 39 years or what's changed give me that oh wow that's a big question all
1: right in your Consol- consolidation okay is I mean... it, it going to continue yeah, I think it will. I think uh, there will be continued consolidation, primarily at the distribution level. Um, I think the manufacturing or supplier consolidation is probably is what it is for a while, uh, short term anyway. Um, but I and I also see um, I see the middle middle sized farmer. Um, perhaps being reduced in numbers.
0: Yeah, I I see that also. It's it's not because I'm advocating for it, it's because I just see what's going to happen. I think there's going to be the niche players and there's going to be some of the people that can be uh, part-time, they'll have a job and they can run an operation uh, and then there's going to be the larger scale because that's been the story of North American agriculture, frankly, since uh, the early 1900s. It's Mm -hmm. been the story since the Industrial Revolution, really, since the mid-1800s. It's been a matter of growth and scale. Uh, and then there's still opportunities. Speaking of opportunities and niche, what do you see in an opportunity? Anything strike you? You live in California where people throw funny money at funny stuff. What do you see? What have you seen in the last year that struck you as funny or interesting or opportunistic as a way to make a living in this business?
1: Whew. I'm asking you the tough yeah, questions, man. Yeah, I'm making that. That, that is, you're really making me think here now. See, well,
0: you've been around this your whole <laughs> life,
1: sixty sixty some years old. I figured you've yeah. got a lot of wisdom to share. Oh my gosh! All
0: right, tell me this: when you look at uh, mistakes that people in our industry make, give me one mistake and it's easily fixable. What's the mistake you see people making
1: in our industry? I think uh, probably the biggest mistake is just not realizing. Um, realizing that people don't know where food comes from yeah we,
0: we're so close to it we sometimes just say well surely if they just understood no 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 you're 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 starting off uh, you know you're you're starting off over here you're already in a different you're in a different city you're in a different you're in a different arena you're not even the same arena you're not even the same ballpark yeah i think that's probably true too what about the business side of it this is my last question for you uh you've enjoyed it you've been with there for 39 years which is a long long time besides consolidation does the does the chemistry get better? Do we get
1: to where we don't need it? Is that really what's going to be pushed through the legislation and the environmentalists and the protests? Well, I don't think you're – there's always going to be a need. There's always going to be bugs. There's always going to be weeds. There's always going to be fungus. Uh, how are you going to treat it? And um, companies like Bayer, like Monsanto, like like our competitors are still investing millions of dollars a year in research and development. we we got to find better tools – And the tools that are coming on the market now have gone through so much scrutiny. Uh, The stuff that's getting marketed today is so much more uh, worker friendly and environmentally friendly than 20, 30, 40 years ago. Agreed. That's a
0: great place to leave it right there. There's always going to be something else that wants our food other than us humans. There's going to be critters, bugs, weeds that will get in the way of it. I think we need chemistry and technology also. Whether it's a mix of better chemistry, lesser chemistry, it, that's, let's leave it to the scientists that make that happen. You're listening to The Business of Agriculture. I was your host, Damian Mason. I'll do it again next week. Please join us. Alan Bishop, thanks for being our guest. Thank you. See you. till next time.